This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 366 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 4-2 defeat away to Bayern Munich and we are once again joined by Jose Perez to preview tomorrow's Champions League return leg against Sevilla. For all that and more joins me once again Adam Dorowski like last week helping out again and uh, I must say it's, uh, it's around um, almost, almost 9 p.m. here in Philadelphia, so it's it's really late, but uh, I, had a, I had an internet outage half the day, which is why I couldn't record much earlier. Uh, Adam, how are you doing? Uh, you know, football aside, doing well, but <laughs> man, I will... I, that match just killed me. It was it was just so infuriating. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a very sore loser as well, as it turns out, especially because yesterday... Uh, I played a bit of football with my friend uh, out in the sun. It was a couple, couple of degrees warm here, and uh, we we seized that opportunity. But now my legs hurt, and I've made it like an audible groan every time I move physically today. <laughs> so uh, it's been that sort of day. But yeah, I was I was really uh, not happy about how how the game went uh, yeah. uh, for for various ve reasons. Obviously, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you. <laughs> You've seen that I tweeted out a picture of uh, Marco Fritz, the referee, and uh, called him Bayern's man of the match. So uh, I, I feel like I was kind of backed up by uh, Royce, Emre Can, and uh, Edin Tessic afterwards. So, because uh, I tweeted that before I knew what they had to say, but uh, I'm, I'm glad everyone can uh, sort of agree on, uh, you know, that that kind of that, that feeling you just can't shake that there there may some some you know subconscious biases, you know, some calls, you know. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, first of all, Adam, I think we have to uh, talk about, obviously, the lineup and uh, how the game started, because it started rather well. It was Erling Haaland uh, with uh, two goals uh, right away. Uh, what did you make of that start? Did you, uh, did you have the courage to celebrate, or were you still too fearful that it was just going to be uh, biting Dortmund in the butt later? Oh man. Uh, so it, this, this was a match that it, it came after a tough week. So I, I could have really used some good news, but I was going into this, like, uh, we're facing Bayern in Munich. It's just not going to happen. And then to have two goals like that, that early. And I was so thrilled to see, uh, Torgan Hazard back in the, the 11 and he was looking fantastic and Holland finished those two great goals. And I wanted to be so excited, but you just know, You just know deep in the, the pit of your stomach, you're like, that's too early. You cannot be happy yet. You can't enjoy <laughs> yeah, anything. Was it too and early with a W or with two O's? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, really both. And, you know, to the, the, it, the with the, the second minute where they scored, too. I couldn't believe that. It was it was a different scenario for me, too, because I was watching it on ABC on the TV. Usually I'm on my computer. I've got like Twitter up and everything. But I'm like, no, I'm not even going to look at Twitter. I'm just going to watch this game. Uh, watched it with my son. <laughs> and it was really interesting because he was furious he's 13 years old he was furious about the officiating just absolutely so furious and i wasn't looking at anything on twitter so i couldn't see everybody's reactions so i had to play the the dad slash coach role of like oh you can't blame the <laughs> officiating even though you know deep inside i'm like well, ah, i, so I hope you won't listen to this particular podcast episode because uh, <laughs> there's going to be some concurrence <laughs> oh yeah yeah i i it's You know, and you, you just knew that Lewandowski was going to score and then the foul before halftime. Like, if I had been told that Dortmund would have a 2-2 score at halftime before the match, I would have been happy. But heading into halftime, I was... I, I think that was just the first time I posted my first I fucking hate them tweet. And, <laughs> and they just kept coming. And it's... Oh. So infuriating. Yeah, it was soul crushing, especially uh, the the equalizer. I mean, if we talk about the uh, 
the first Bayern goal. Um, that's obviously even more annoying because that preceded the infamous, I guess now, uh, Meunier, whatever square pass attempt that was. Ah, uh, just just horrible, horrible. I mean, Meunier's... I mean, it can happen. I know we've all kicked the ball. We all know we can all horribly underhit it, but it's not like the Allianz Arena some potato field. And mm. he was in good position. All he had to do is square to Haaland, and he, it would have been a tap-in. You know, Tessic afterwards talked about the encouragement of players to, like, take the shot themselves. But honestly, if, if Erling Haaland is in the middle and wide open, and you just need to find him, you need to square that ball. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that that's obviously a, a big mistake. I don't know if uh, Dortmund going up 3-0 after 25 minutes would have... Uh, uh, meant they they would have won the game, but uh, I know for sure that Dortmund probably would have played with a bit more confidence. And then obviously when uh, Lewandowski scored, uh, just I don't know, was it twenty five seconds later or so on the other side? It's just so annoying. And yeah, the uh, <laughs> the uh, penalty that Bayern got in the forty what was it forty fourth minute or so? I th I don't think we can really argue much there, can we? I think Dahoud really stepped on command's foot, and uh, yeah. Dortmund were lucky that the referee didn't see it, like he didn't see so many things, but uh, VAR then intervened correctly and uh, yeah, you absolutely can't argue there, it's just, uh, that's a silly foul and kind of uh, annoying that uh, Dahoud of all players who have, who's been so fantastic recently, uh, yeah, made this sort of colossal mistake. Exactly, I, I, I felt for him, I felt like... It looked to me actually at first like a good challenge too. It looked like he got the ball, but then on the replay, it just looked so obvious that this is going to be a a, a penalty. Well, and I, just the I, I honestly thought it was just another dive because Coman is someone who who does that, and Byron players in particular have like a long history of you know cynical dives. So I thought uh, the referee who was right next to it just thought the same thing. But uh, yeah, now that that's a penalty, and obviously Lewandowski put it away now. Uh, you know. Marvin hits the stutter step. He, he did not survive it. He he already dove, mm -hmm. and then Lewandowski just had to pick the other corner. It was all too easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, but then after halftime, I I thought you know I, I was distraught in all of halftime, and then a couple minutes in, Hazard had that shot, and I thought for a split second that that things were actually going to be good again. But no, that one hit the was it the post or the side netting? It might have been the side netting. Yeah, <laughs> and then like a minute later, hits had that spill that I thought was for sure going to be uh, the third Bayern goal, but we lucked out of that one for a little bit. And then I got to be honest, I, I was shocked that Dortmund hung on as long as they did. I mean, 88th minute is when Goretzka finally got the third goal, and I mean it was coming before then. The shots were what was it, 27 to four? So. I, I took a look just before this to find out the last time Dortmund had uh, had uh, conceded 27 or more shots and, and had four or fewer. Last season against Bayern, they had one shot in the uh, what was it, the uh, four nothing loss uh, in in Munich. I think that was yeah. But uh, you have to go back a little bit further to find the the most recent time that they allowed that many shots, and it was. Um, that 11 save uh, clean sheet by by Roman Berkey, where they had like uh, Gladbach had 28 shots, and so it's been a while since uh, Dortmund faced that many shots. Yeah, I mean, obviously there there are many things to talk about the three two, and it's obviously the the controversy that's uh, revolving around, and we'll get to it right. in a second. But um, if we talk about the 27 shots, I mean. Uh, First of all, the the most disappointing thing above all, you know, not only that Dortmund lost, but that they could hardly compete with Bayern over 90 minutes. That, yes, after nine minutes, they were 2-0 up, but uh, then Bayern just ruthlessly took over and Dortmund just had almost no spells of possession. Uh, their their counterattack was not, uh, as Chan put it, courageous enough because... Uh, you know, if you win the ball and you you must transition forward, then that means a lot of bodies need to move, or uh, it will just peter out. And then Dortmund step on the ball, pass it to Hits, and he punts it, and then the ball is gone basically. And that happened quite a lot. That uh, Dortmund just sort of aimlessly punted the ball forward, and then uh, yeah, turned over possession immediately. Um, and yeah, so. <sighs> I don't really know if I should be annoyed with Terzic's approach because you all, everyone knows that, you know, Dortmund 
played with a 5-4-1 system for the start and at, at some point is, they, they switch back to a back 4 and then back to a back 5 again but um, basically having this low block defense basically after going up to nothing I thought that was just you know waiting for Bayern to happen because you know that Bayern can destroy teams that sit back and uh yeah, you want to take advantage of their high line, but I still think you need to be more aggressive. Now, the problem obviously is uh, that when there are spells of Dortmund pressing, that Bayern played around that as well quite expertly. And uh, if you want to press for uh, longer spells, and we all know that from the club era, um, then you need to have the courage to do that because the entire team needs to do it rather perfectly. And I don't think that Dortmund, after... Uh, over two years of Favre football are really capable of doing that. So um, at this stage right now, this team is uh, not the team that goes to Munich and uh, really, really presses them. I think that happened um, in, in a better sense actually at the Super Cup, but it's a different competition and, and different game, different scenario. Dortmund had uh, other players available. And um, yeah, so to me, that's sort of the most disappointing thing that, you know, on paper, it's probably the best and second best teams going head to head. But uh, the gap in quality or the gulf in quality is, is just so stark. Um, it's just breathtaking how much possession Bayern had and how much dangerous possession they had. Now, uh, I still want to sort of take the 27 shots with a pinch of salt for Bayern because uh, although it's such a high number, a they I think only had eight on target, and b I don't I don't remember that many Marvin hits saves where he really had to uh, you know uh, ma make monster saves or anything like that. So um, even though the the shot number was high, I thought that Bayern overall their their output was not that efficient minus the two at the end. I guess. What, what do right. you think about that? Because, uh, yeah, it, it sounds very high, but if you actually like go through it shot by shot by shot, how many were blocked and wayward and whatnot, uh, I, I'm not that impressed anymore. Right, yeah. Eight were on target. Um, a total of 2.9 XG, and the post-shot XG was 3.8, which is rather high, which means that they were pretty good chances, the, the ones that were on target. But I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I bet a good chunk of that is those last two goals that ended up going in because, yeah, like penalty, you, I don't remember. Right? Oh, yeah, the penalty is is a huge part of that too. Yeah, so um, that's that's basically the the one positive you can take away from that. Obviously, uh, it, it's kind of weird because obviously you had uh, Zagadou back, you know, you had Emre Can in the uh, in the back line and uh, next to Hummels, and everyone was a little bit out of position. And then Meunier back on the right, and you had Scholz who had like one game, and uh, in front of him Hazard and. Overall, I, I would just say that um, this Dortmund side was just not really up for it. Um, and that's mostly, I, I guess, the, if you want to find blame, it's mostly down to Dortmund's lack of rotation in, in recent games. And, uh, you know, that just goes down to the form of Girena and Julian Brandt because they have not been reliable assets for Dortmund in the past weeks that... Uh, Tessic really could have just brought them in and given players like Sancho or Guerrero or whatnot a rest. And that's that's really the, uh, the the sad part here that, you know, you have a 25 million euro left back, but you don't really want to play him. And uh, Brandt I think, also costs 25 million. Don't really want to play him right now. Girena, obviously, a budding talent, but uh, he has shown that he can really deliver for Dortmund, but right now is uh, not, not doing that. So, um, you know, leading up to this Bayern game, Dortmund really had a lot of tough games and uh, had to play their best players the entire time and uh, the lack of rotation and, uh, you know, the resulting injuries really led to Dortmund not being able to compete with Bayern. And, uh, you know, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but if you close out with a front three of uh, Tigges, who basically played in the fourth division like half a year ago, uh, Uwe Brandt, who's out of form, and Hanier, who uh, is, yeah getting basically just just a couple of garbage time minutes here and there even though he just scored his first goal um that's that's nothing you can really uh take and and uh, throw at Bayern who I think brought on uh, Gnabry and uh, and a barrage of other players for uh Haaland and uh, and uh, Hazard etc and Royce of course um so Adam 
uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I think that's to me been the most important uh, uh, disappointing thing about the game. It's not even the the scoreline. It's just just uh, seeing the, uh, the 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 gulf between the two teams, how Bayern are when they are on top of their game, which they always are against Dortmund. Right. It's this classic. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Like <laughs> I, I have find it hard to find you know, players to point fingers at in this match. Um, because, you know, we, they took a, an early lead that they, uh, Byron equalized off a very unfortunate penalty. And then, you know, they, they held them for a very long time. And that was despite having Holland, uh, off with an injury that was super unfortunate. And, you know, it took until the 80th minute for a very, controversial goal to happen. And then the fourth goal, I think they just had the life sucked out of them from yeah. the 88. The, the game was over at that point. And a huge thing too, of course, that we have to mention is, is missing Guerrero and, and Sancho. And they're two of the best ball progressors in the Bundesliga. And, and just to give an example, I, last time I was on, I was talking about how Sancho had 14 progressive passes and 14 progressive carries against Bielefeld. Well, the entire Dortmund squad had 16 progressive passes and 12 progressive carries uh, against Bayern. So Dahoud led the way with four progressive passes. Schultz was next with two. So <laughs> it, it's it's not pretty. Yeah, Schultz good, actually had of the, the most carries. Messero sent me the, uh, the between the posts passing chart on uh, which day. Oh, God. Uh, put on Twitter and uh, Nico Schultz literally no uh, no no forward going passes and he also I think showed me pictures uh, of the heat maps and uh, Bayern where basically everyone in the field in Dortmund hardly made it out of their own half so it just really shows how how far they were pushed back went uh, yeah I think I think the the numbers you just uh, took there I think are the most important ones for Dortmund is that going forward they really need to be going forward <laughs> Uh, with the ball, they need stints of possession. They need to relieve themselves of Bayern's pressure. And the problem is, when you have Guerrero, you have someone uh, who can really uh, play out of the first pressing uh, wave that Bayern have. And with Schultz, you have someone who can hardly touch the ball without it flopping away from him another five meters or so. Um, yeah. Although I mean, he, he had that assist, you know that 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 was a really nice pass. And obviously the uh, the. Uh, amazing spin ball from the hood across the entire field for the switch of play that that was just amazing to watch but other than that Dortmund didn't really uh, uh, play too enticing football after that it was just you know attack against defense for for like good part of 70 minutes yeah, I mean, Schultz actually had two shot-creating actions. He's the only Dortmund player that had two. He had the, the <laughs> pre-assist on on uh, the second goal, and then he had the the key pass to the Hazard shot. He, he was the one that dished it to Hazard. So that's actually kind of <laughs> – he actually had the second most progressive passes on the team completed, but that was unfortunately just two. So – yeah, I mean, I think uh, Torgan Hazard looked really good. If we want to find something good to take from this, he uh, he led the the squad with uh, 26 pressures, had four block passes, and had the assist too. I think he he looked good. I'm very excited to see him back in the lineup. I think if we subtract the uh, failed square pass by Meunier and the uh, silly Dahoud foul, which was really unnecessary, I think overall Dortmund given what they had, really made the most out of this game. Uh, I mean, the uh, the first two goals uh, were very well crafted. Obviously, uh, Haaland did profit from a big Boateng deflection there, but I think that would have been going in even without the deflection, to be honest. And uh, otherwise, yeah, I don't really want to, want to blame Dortmund too much for this uh, loss because Bayern are just so damn good. And especially when they play against Dortmund, they usually bring their A game and... Uh, don't want to have tough luck that uh, you know the likes of Müller and Kimmich are now all uh, back to fully fit, and of of course you had um, uh, Goretzka back, and yeah, the only quote unquote weak point that Dortmund could have exploited is uh, Niklas Süle, but even he, I think, won two uh, two or three dribbles, <laughs> something like that. So uh, yeah, it was just piling on. So in 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 that regard, it's it's uh, very. Uh, yeah, annoying how, how good Bayern are and you can only hope that uh, their decline starts at some point. Uh, but, you know, if, if you ask me, I just I just fail to see how, how Bayern will uh, get worse anytime soon, especially uh, when they add Upamecano to that back line. So, um, 
you tell me, Adam, uh, where Dortmund can gain hope from that, especially if Dortmund lose more talent going forward. But um, yeah, I, I hope there are other other games where Dortmund can win it again, especially at home with fans in the stands that uh, these games are usually a bit closer than uh, at the Allianz. But um, given that Dortmund held it uh, to a 2-2 draw for 88 minutes, I think is an achievement, but uh, yeah, uh, none that you can be really happy about because in the end it's it's even more frustrating to lose that way than uh, than just get to, you know, select six nothing or so. Yeah, I mean, I went through the 1990s as a Red Sox fan watching the Yankees just win over and over again. So unfortunately, I've been through all of this before. And at <laughs> some point, you just become desensitized to all of the Yankees or Bayern's successes and just... You just find find enjoyment in things that don't have to do with playing Bayern. Yeah, yeah. But before we get to that, uh, we do have to talk about the uh, refereeing controversy. Obviously, um, there was this uh, potential foul on uh, Royce by Kimmich. Uh, that's something, uh, an action that sort of started outside the box and then finished inside the box to me it, it looked pretty much like a foul Royce I think when he saw the replay he said it wasn't a foul um, but I, I think that Kimmich clearly blocks uh, Royce's foot there and uh, part of the foul does happen in the box and my concern or my gripe with this situation is that uh, the referee is not going back to the review area to take a look at it because it is just a very close call and it can go either way so um, to me, that's something uh, where the referee, after having looked at the uh, the hood scene, he he should go back and look at that as well. Just just my opinion. I totally agree, especially like at this point, doesn't hasn't Kimmich earned <laughs> earned that reputation that like you need to assume that he's being dirty at this point. Like I I feel like you got to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, it seems like every time against Dortmund, he's he's got some sort of dirty foul in his in his back pocket. Yeah, I mean the last time it was, <laughs> yeah, he heard not, himself. Not, yeah, he hurt himself on Haaland, but uh, before that uh, he was very lucky uh, when he stomped on Sancho's foot deliberately and only got a yellow card instead of a suspension. Um, that was in the Super Cup a year ago. So, right. um, so yeah, these things are just just adding up. And obviously, the big talking point then was uh, when Leroy Sané uh, ran over Emre Can in in midfield and. Uh, um, yeah, a couple of seconds later, the ball was in the net. Obviously, uh, the DFB pointed out that uh, you can't really review this play because uh, Dortmund had possession in between and uh, sort of a Nico Schultz giveaway. And I agree with that. That's not a re reviewable foul if uh, this goal happens. But I think that the referee just needs to uh, blow the whistle instantly when... Uh, uh, a player runs over someone else from behind, uh, especially when, when you're leaning forward and you're running with the ball, you can't push against the other player. First of all, you don't see this guy coming and, and second of all, your center of gravity is already leaning forward. So um, you just stumble and uh, it doesn't look really spectacular, which is why I think a lot of these fouls are not really given. But uh, I don't see how Sunny has any chance to win the ball there. And um, so to me, it's a clear foul. And uh, then obviously we can talk about how Dortmund still have ample opportunity to defend the situation, but uh, that's besides the point for me, because if that's a foul, then it's 30 seconds off the clock, Dortmund get a free kick and the goal that Bayern scored never happens. So that's really what uh, annoyed the bejesus out of me. And Mark Royce then after the game said that if this happens the other way around, it's 100% a foul and... Uh, said then when, when he was pressed about it, it's just how it is. And uh, obviously he then got an angry letter the next day uh, from the German FA that he should uh, tone it down a little and uh, be more uh, in, in, in tune with the uh, role model that a club captain should be. And I, I think that's just, just really a snitty loaded letter, if you ask me, because uh, the German FA, you know, they can just go screw themselves in, in, in that case because... Uh, I think Marco Reus has every right to be upset and even though it comes across whiny and I think if you lose that uh, such a, such a uh, dominated performance by Bayern, uh, you, you probably should not be whining and complaining about refereeing situations. But uh, 
I don't know. I I think it, it's better to to just give in and give up and and wave the white flag. I I think it's uh, about time Dortmund players speak up about uh, the uh, the biases and tendencies of of refereeing decisions going more against Dortmund than against Bayern in the, in these high profile games. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. And it's a weird match in the respect that by the numbers and and by the eye test, Bayern completely played Dortmund, but this game was decided by a refereeing error. Like that, that's what it comes down to. It was two to two at the time. So that literally decided the game, even though Bayern maybe deserved more, but you know, there's some Dortmund also had some chances to, to get that third goal as well. So it's super frustrating to see this happen time and again. And in this case, it was, you know, Dortmund really needed this one and and it just didn't work out and it was incredibly frustrating. Yeah, also, I think I know where Royce is coming from because yeah. this isn't an isolated incident, you know, dating back from, uh, you know, a, a goal in, in, the, in the cup final where the ball, uh, Hummel's header was already like 40 centimeters or so over the line and uh, was cleared by Martinez and it wasn't given and then Bayern ended up winning that cup. And uh, I don't know, there are probably three, four, five situations where Frank Rubiri could have been sent off. Uh, and, uh, you know, Xabi Alonso has uh, gotten away with so many bookable offenses where he, you know, in the Guardiola years probably could have and should have been sent off. And then obviously um, in the Champions League final, which is obviously not to German FA, I think there was an Italian referee, but nevertheless, when Dante kicked Royce literally in the stomach uh, in the penalty area, uh, and he was already on a yellow, and then uh, I think it was Dantu who played that uh, ball in the 92nd minute or whenever it was, or the ninth minute. Um, you know, just the the mass of of calls, big game defining calls that went Bayern's way and against Dortmund. Um, you know, was it was it a year or two years ago when the Boateng blocked that Haaland shot with his oh, elbow? God. That know? was yeah, that was last year. And even when Kimmich kicked. Uh, Holland and got injured. That could have easily been a book of, uh, of sending off as well. I mean, he was he was the last man, wasn't he? Yeah, it's so frustrating. I don't know if he was the last man, but it was a fall from behind, and it was uh, right. You know, he 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 risked Holland's health there too. Now it was fortunate mm -hmm. for Dortmund. There was Kimmich who got injured, not Holland, but nevertheless, you know, it's it's just um, I I think that it accumulates and. Uh, after so many years of of Marco Royce having to take all these uh, like calls, and it's I I think the the problem here isn't that this was a blatantly wrong call, as I may have put it, because I can see as a referee in in this sort of game where you let this this one slide, you know the uh, Zanion John call. But the problem just is that there are so many fifty fifty decisions um, that always go in favor for the red team, and I think there were instances where. Uh, you know, Thomas Müller ran into Dahoud's elbow, <laughs> really, and it was it was called for for Bayern, uh, where I didn't think it was a foul at all, and um, yeah, so I I see why Emre Can and Tessic all all basically and and Royce of course said the same thing, and uh, I I like that they all spoke out about it despite Bayern's dominance because it, it needs to be addressed and maybe uh, it helps the next time around that maybe Dortmund get a fortunate call because I think uh, they they need a couple here and there. Maybe maybe uh, they even got fortunate with the uh, the call that, that uh, where the ball looked like it touched Royce's shoulder or arm, I can't really tell. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just so annoying that this game then gets decided by what I think is a clear foul and uh, should have been given to Dortmund. And I'm I'm okay with everyone who disagrees uh, with with that sort of uh, viewpoint. But uh, yeah, that at at this moment I I got very very uh, aggravated. <laughs> I don't know about you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's tough because it, it took Emery John out of the play too because he's he's frustrated. He's yelling at the ref. So it it's just you know when something like that happens, they let their guard down. And the next thing you know, it's in the back of the net, and that just makes it even worse. And then the, the shoulders drop even more and a fourth goal go, goes in. And it's just like at that point you go from, oh, my God, they're going to pull this off to sending your second. I really fucking hate them tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's uh, pretty that sums it up pretty well. 
All right, so shall we move on to the Sevilla match? And I think uh, before you and I discuss uh, maybe Dortmund's lineup, rotation, etc., um, we'll give it over to uh, Jose Perez and uh, myself with the preview. Borussia Dortmund have the chance to reach the quarterfinal of the UEFA Champions League for the first time in many years. Mark Roy said at today's news conference that he would be proud if Dortmund could achieve that. And they've laid the groundwork with a 3-2 win away to Sevilla about two weeks ago. And... Uh, I guess they were even a little bit unlucky in the end because Luke de Jong scored a very late uh, goal, cutting down their lead in half. But uh, once again, I'm joined by the contributor for Between the Posts and Managing Madrid, Jose Perez at JCPerez underscore on Twitter. Jose, how are you doing? And welcome to the show. Hello, Stefan. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me here again. As usual, I like to talk about La Liga teams. Uh, it was a very, uh, the first leg uh, of this game turned out. Uh, how do how do I put it? I, to me, that was the worst case scenario for Sevilla, like them suffering a lot uh, on the counter against, uh, against Dortmund. To be honest, almost any team in the world would suffer a lot against Sancho and Ireland on the counter. So um, it doesn't surprise me that much that it happened, but yeah, it, it, it it's a bit hard to watch for a fan of Spanish football. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that completely. Now, the problem, obviously, for Sevilla is that since that Dortmund loss, uh, including that one, uh, they have only won one out of the last five games. Uh, they went on to beat Osasuna with a 2-0 in the league, and then they had another league defeat against Barcelona. And after that, they met Barcelona again in the Copa del Rey. And they, uh, I think, very late, uh, basically got an equalizer on aggregate, which sent this cup tie to extra time or overtime. And Barcelona won it then in the end, uh, which was obviously another harsh defeat after they had a 2-0 lead. And now uh, on Saturday, they lost, uh, I guess you can call it a bit of a shock defeat, 1-2 uh, away to Elche. So uh, what's interesting about this is obviously before Sevilla met Dortmund, they won nine games in a row, if I remember correctly. So Jose, what exactly happened to Sevilla that uh, the uh, loss against Dortmund sort of uh, broke their stride a little bit? Or is it more about uh, Barcelona being a very good side and uh, that maybe being more of a factor than anything else? Yes, so so it is interesting. This has been kind of the worst, the worst week for Sevilla uh, in their season. I do think that having to play against a side as talented as Barcelona, with all the issues that Barcelona might have and all the drama surrounding Barcelona, they still have really good players. I think that warps our perspective a bit of uh, of the situation at Sevilla. But it, I would still say it's bad, especially because the way the way they lost that second that Copa del Rey game against Barcelona when they had already a two zero lead from the first leg, and then well. Uh, Barcelona successfully turned it around and ended up uh, winning the tie in the second leg. Uh, it was, it, let's just say that uh, Julian Lopetegui Sevilla has had a history of competing pretty well on knockout tournaments. For example, what they did last season at the Europa League. So we expected them to be able to handle a game like this uh, a bit better. And to be honest, we 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 like to build a lot of narratives based on the result. It's it feels like it was they didn't handle it so badly. It's just that a few details here and there against Barcelona went wrong, and then the whole thing, uh, and then the whole and then they ended up losing that one because they missed like I I think for that game uh, they missed the penalty. Then they get like that last minute header from Piquet that tied the game at the very end. So. Just those little details. Uh, they've been struggling a bit, a bit lately. Then the game against Elche uh, over the weekend was kind of uh, Lopetegui rotating the entire team. So a lot of players who are gonna 
play midweek against uh, Dortmund uh, were rotated. So left back Acuña, midfielders, uh, Joan Jordan and Fernando. Diego Carlos was also rotated, the center back. And also forwards, people in the forward line like Enesiri and Suso. So a lot of players, starters were rotated against Elche and that ended up in a pretty poor game for them where they lost against the side that's relegation level. Yeah, that's uh, obviously a luxury that Dortmund cannot really afford right now. I mean, they are obviously rotating as well, in quotation marks, but their rotation is more down to injury. It's not like uh, Jane Sancho or Rafael Guerrero or Girona will uh, come back uh, for the uh, Sevilla game. Now, what was sort of a, a problem, I guess, for Sevilla in the first leg is that they had a lot of injuries. Um, if I... I'm in, informed correctly right now, only Alesh Vidal is uh, the only one uh, that is out for Sevilla, and, unless I've, I've missed somebody. Um, who is coming back for uh, this Sevilla side in uh, comparison to the first leg, and uh, what kind of a difference do you expect this will make? Yes, so for this game, uh, they recover a few uh, important players, uh, mostly um, left back uh, Marcos Acuña, who is a very active defensive player. Uh, and they also recover a very important forward in this case, Lucas Ocampos, who, uh, who, who is probably their most aggressive winger. So the guy that likes to run behind defenses, the guy that likes to run at defenders and try to dribble past them. Sevilla are really lacking in those kinds of players. And Ocampos is the guy who usually does that. He was missing against Dortmund. Now that they have him back, uh, that would work. That hopefully will improve them, uh, will improve them this time around. So those are the two biggest differences. The other two players who work, Injured in between, like in between these two legs, but then, re but apparently are recovering on time. Are the goalie Yasin Bono, who was also a bit injured, but re but uh, it seems that he'll make it to to this Dortmund game. And center back Jules Kunde will also also got a bit injured, then will recover. It seems like he will recover on time too. You've already talked a little bit in the in the previous time you've been on uh, how Sevilla play, but uh, now that Sevilla's backs are a bit more against the wall. How do you think uh, they will set up? So it's it's interesting because I think uh, we will see. Uh, well, they Sevilla know that they have to turn around this game. Uh, they are usually a pretty aggressive pressing team, and I think they really they will ra ramp it up even more uh, this time around. It's something that, by the way, happened similarly against Barcelona last week. Uh, that Sevilla went into that game pressing very even more aggressively than usual. I think a similar thing uh, will happen here, which uh, maybe, yes, maybe it can help Sevilla generate more chances. But I would say that the current game state, uh, uh, the way this tie is playing out with Dortmund having the advantage and with Sevilla having to take the initiative and be more aggressive, that plays well to Dortmund's strengths because I think they can afford to be a bit more passive, sit back a bit more, and just wait to hit on the counter. Yeah, uh, after the Bayern segment, I would say maybe that's not the best idea, but obviously Sevilla are a strong side, but they're not as good as Bayern, and they might not be able to create this same amount of pressure on dominance, and obviously uh, will uh, afford Dortmund to have a couple more... Um, yeah, counterattacks. I'm especially looking at uh, Marco Reus, Torgenhazar and Erling Haaland, who, uh, if it's not going to be a 4-2-3-1 or anything else, they're probably going to lead the line. And uh, all three of those are obviously excellent counterattacking players, uh, especially Hazar in, in that uh, regard. It's not really uh, much of a, um, a downgrade from Jane Sancho. So um, this is sort of... I guess how I expect this game to play out, Erling Haaland is obviously a goal machine, especially in the Champions League. How do you think uh, Lopetegui will, will set up his, his uh, midfield? Is it going to be Goudet and Rakitic again? Because I don't think Rakitic had a particularly good game uh, against Dortmund last time around. No, he didn't. So, so it's so it's interesting, yes, to talk about lineup choices. So, um, Lopetegui, again, very much a 4-3-3 guy. He rarely varies from that. So, 
again, goalkeeper Bono will likely make it back, come back from his injury, so he will likely start the back four. Um, is he's going to get like they're going to have their entire like their strongest back four uh, on. So it's going to be Jesus Navas right back, uh, Diego Carlos and Jules Kunde as the center backs. Uh, and they're going to have back Marcos Acuña for left back. Then the midfield, um, I know because they were rested in the weekend against Elche, I know for sure that Fernando, the the holding midfielder, and Joan Jordan, uh, uh, the the number eight, they will start. The I do wonder, and, and this is something I was talking about with some colleagues, whether Rakitic will start or not because of what you mentioned i don't think he's been good in the last in the last few months or honestly the entire season from rakitic has been a bit over a bit underwhelming from him so there is an argument to start in left midfield instead of putting rakitic uh starting a a pretty um agile, agile and creative spanish midfielder called oliver torres who he has been playing well. He's been very creative, good, doing a good job creating chances for Sevilla and even defending, like pressing the opponent. So there's a chance, I think, that he could start. And then the forward line, I would say uh, for sure, uh, Yusuf Engnesidi is going to start. Uh, very likely, Suso on the right, like he did in the first leg, he's going to start too. The question will be who will be a bit the option, the the third option uh, in the forward line, because before Papu Gomez, who also had a bad game versus Dortmund, and he again also an underwhelming time under like at Sevilla lately, maybe he will be benched, and instead, what we will see is striker Luke de Jong as the number nine, and in the city instead of being the number nine, he's going to play on the left wing. That could be the adjustment that we could see tomorrow. Uh, yeah, that that's kind of what I'm expecting. Oh, no, now that I think about it, Suso might be benched for Ocampos uh, huh. because that's a duel. That's a duel, by the way, that if you're Sevilla, you want it because, uh, to give an example, Schultz was suffered a lot against Sane this weekend against, uh, against Bayern. Uh, Sevilla should look for a similar situation, like try to get... Ocampos to run at Schulz and try to exploit his weaknesses. Yeah, uh, <laughs> stiff hips is a, a term I heard described Schulz uh, <laughs> in in that situation against Sunny. Uh, I think there was Bayern's first goal uh, or no second goal, the equalizer that you're referencing. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> he's uh, not the most agile defender. He's very fast and he he can run forward, but uh, if you Turn them around on the spot. Uh, that tends to have uh, a couple of uh, problems. Now, my my other question is obviously, um, uh, if I remember correctly, most of uh, the goal threat that Sevilla posed in the first leg were actually was actually uh, set pieces, um, be it free kicks or or corners or, or something like that. Um, do you think in in that regard it does make sense to maybe start Luke de Jong from the beginning? I mean, he uh, he certainly is a striker that knows how to punish. Uh, players and, and, and teams uh, that make individual tactical mistakes, like, for example, Dortmund did. I think that was Emre Can who just failed to cover him. Uh, still not entirely sure how Dortmund conceded that goal, but uh, it happened. Do you think just uh, because of that, um, I know he's not uh, maybe the best player if you want to press a, another team high, but do you think that, uh, uh, you know, Sevilla will maybe just look to draw a lot of fouls and uh, then, you know, have... Uh, free kicks from like the half space or so. Is that, is that something you would into, integrate into an actual game plan or do you think that's a bit too far-fetched? I don't think it's too far-fetched. Uh, Lopetegui Sevilla are a good team playing through midfield, but a lot of the time, like in the final third, in that like final bit of, uh, of attacking the opponent and getting into the box, they struggle. And a lot of the time over the last two years that Lopetegui has been training Sevilla, many times they have had to rely on set pieces uh, to get the job done. So it wouldn't surprise me for this to be part of the game plan. Lately, right now, that Sevilla are struggling a bit more and playing a bit more poorly, uh, Lopetegui has also relied a bit more on Luke de Jong. So he got that, last, uh, that goal versus Dortmund. Then he also scored over the weekend. I think versus Elche. If I, uh, so, 
there and he also started against Barcelona, kind of the setup that I in the setup that I told you before. Him as the striker, as the number nine, and then Nesiri starting kind of more as the winger. So I do think there is a chance that uh, Lopetegui might drop Papu Gomez, who uh, I let's just say that the relationship between the coach and Papu Gomez is not working out as well not so much like not that they're angry at each other but it's just he doesn't know how to fit Gomez into his side so <laughs> there's a chance that instead of instead we'll see Luke de Jong start I think that is that is a possibility and they might try to exploit for example set pieces like you mentioned and as you saw in, in that second half versus Dortmund they put in uh, this Spanish midfielder Oscar Rodriguez who is really good at taking those kinds of set pieces. Not only yes. did he put in the pass for the young, he also had this uh, free kick that hit the post. Yeah, that was very close. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for coming on. I think, uh, lastly, maybe uh, uh, a scoreline prediction, or at least so who do you think will uh, progress in this tie? <laughs> this is that that's always uh that's always an interesting one an interesting one so uh the other thing uh b before i leave so i would say watch out in duels uh once again watch out that alan for versus diego carlos which went very well for alan last time and it can still go well this time watch out on the other side if it happens that ocampos versus schultz i think those are kind of two key matchups to keep an eye on uh that being said uh I think I still see this one as a tough as a tough one for Sevilla because they are struggling a lot scoring goals and I think this is a game where as I said before the context just doesn't benefit them because they are going to have to be more aggressive they're going to have to press even more aggressively and as we have already seen as we saw in the first leg as we saw this weekend versus uh, versus Bayern uh Arland and company don't need too many chances to score and th and that's the thing even if Sevilla dominated most of the game even if they pressed even if they pressed really well and kept the ball uh, uh there in the attack most of the time and even if Dortmund were pushed back most of the time Uh, Dortmund really just need a couple of opportunities uh, to make a, a couple counterattacking opportunities and and they can get the goal. So I think it's very difficult for Sevilla. Uh, and uh, let's see, for a scoreline prediction, I'm going to make this one kind of a draw. So let's say something like a 1-1 one, one, one or 2-2, two, two. but Sevilla are not going to make it. No, the only problem, obviously, is the last time it was a bit uh, uh, upside down in the sense that uh, Sevilla had a really good run coming into this and Dortmund had a poor run and uh, things turned on a dime. So obviously uh, <laughs> that that doesn't mean much for this Champions League time. But uh, again, uh, Jose, thank you for coming on. Uh, if you want to plug anything, now's your chance. Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, for now, the only thing I can, I, I can tell listeners is... Uh, if you want good good La Liga, good tactical analysis, actually, of all big five Euro, European leagues, uh, follow Between the Posts. Literally, that's our Twitter hashtag. So at Between the Posts, uh, where, we, where we always have about, I don't know, 10 weekly match reports every week covering games in the big five European leagues. It's a great way uh, to keep up. Like, if you are not able to, to watch those games, you read that tactical match report. And in five minutes, you need any, every, anything, everything you need to know about what happened in that game tactically. So it's very useful. We have a podcast also every week where we choose one game that we talk about. This time, for example, we chose Dortmund, Dortmund Bayern for this weekend. And also, if you want specifically coverage of La Liga teams at Managing Madrid, we don't just talk about Real Madrid. Every week, I kind of release an opposition analysis where I basically talk about who Real Madrid's opponent that week is. So it's always a fun little article that gives you insight about how each team in La Liga is doing. So you can also follow Managing Madrid. So at Managing Madrid, that's what it, that's what it is on Twitter. And yeah, th through the, those two through those two websites, you can get some pretty nice content. So I hope I hope you're interested in that. You and that you can enjoy reading that. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Jose.
we're back. It's still Adam Dorowski and myself, Stefan Butzko, discussing Borussia Dortmund against Sevilla. Um, Adam, this is going to be a big one for Dortmund in the sense that uh, reaching the quarterfinal really does mean a lot to this Dortmund team, especially considering uh, how the Bundesliga is not panning out all that great. How excited slash scared are you ahead of or, or nervous let's let's say nervous are you ahead of uh, tomorrow's game i mean i'm nervous because you know we're we're in a good situation but we were also in a good situation nine minutes in on <laughs> saturday so i you know i'm not trying to compare the two but but man i i don't celebrate until i can celebrate so Even though Dortmund does have a goal up and a good number of away goals, I'm not totally confident yet. I mean, it's tough. And we're not going to have Sancho again. Likely not going to have Guerrero. Um, so it'll be it'll be a battle. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the the problem also is it, it will be a very dogged game, I think, because Dortmund are... Right. Uh, I think they're they're feeling their fatigue, but at the at the other end, you know, they also have Haaland, who does create Champions League magic, uh, sometimes even sort of out of nothing. And uh, that's the one thing that really gives me hope that uh, Dortmund will punish Sevilla for uh, them having to attack Dortmund. And uh, Jose just uh, sort of mentioned that himself that this is the likeliest outcome that Dortmund uh, will just make something out of their chances. Um, do you expect any rotation? Do you think that we'll see maybe a Julian Brandt uh, starting? Or uh, do you think, for example, that Bellingham returns back to the starting lineup? Because I was a bit surprised that uh, he he wasn't uh, playing against Bayern from the beginning. But then again, he also really left it all out there uh, against Gladbach. That was uh, really uh, <laughs> some performance by Bellingham there. Uh, you know, he and Ben Spaini in that game, they really... Uh, Uh, battled very hard so uh, I could understand that so I I think I, I'm actually hoping that he, he's coming back to the uh, starting 11 what, what, what are you thinking what are the options that uh, Tessic has left yeah I don't think that they'll they'll do the back three again I think that was a uh, you know this was like an emergency switch for, for facing Bayern to try to you know hold them back so I could totally see uh, Hummels and Chan in the in the central defense with Dahoud, Delaney, and Bellingham uh, in a, a three-man midfield again. I think Hazard, Holland, and Royce up front. So very, very little rotation. The only rotation I could possibly see beyond uh, Bellingham coming back in would be the fullbacks. Um, if Guerrero's available, obviously, I think ideally he would play. I, I think that Moray is probably going to find himself back in there. I think that even when he came on against Bayern, like I see why uh, Mounier started, but you know, he's the experienced player against the big team, but man, Moray just looks really good right now. And I feel like he, he's got to start this game. He had four tackles in his 21 minutes. I, I just think that was really impressive. And uh, I, I guess Marvin Hitz is going to be starting in goal because Roman Berkey is, is done. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe that's uh, true. Although Roman Bucci, uh has had some really good Champions League performances, and uh, yeah, but I I think that uh, Tessic will stick with hits now. Um, yeah, on on Moray, I think it was actually quite visible that in in the minutes that he got that uh, I, I don't want to say it was a um, upgrade on Meunier, but in in some sense it was. There was just a new new kind of energy on on the right side and. Uh, especially after Matthias really uh, was very harsh on him. I think uh, he has actually found some form and uh, Moray looks quite pro promising now, especially that um, despite him being, uh, you know, not the, not the tallest, not the most physical players, he's still winning a lot of physical battles and uh, using his, his body well uh, against uh, very physical Bayern players. So I thought that was uh, positive and obviously, um, yeah, he is uh, obviously not the, the best fullback ever but uh, you know his on the ball skills I think are a little bit better than than Meunier's in, in certain situations so um, yeah if it were me I'd probably start him over Meunier again because he's just looking to be in better form right now and he's a bit more dynamic and also you know going forward 
he does offer a little bit more. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I'm not sure what else to say. I'm just glad he listens to the podcast and, and took uh, Matthias's statements to to heart and, you know, thought, uh, looked deep within himself <laughs> and came back and really showed what he can do because he's really put on a hell of a run since uh, Matthias dug into him. Yeah, like but that. I must say when Matthias dug into him, like there was not much uh, there from Murray where you could draw positives from, you know, he made blatant tactical and positional errors. But uh, it's it's improved, and uh, I think that's uh, that's very nice because uh, you know the the story of this Dortmund team is right now that some players like Moray and Dahoud, in the uh, case of injuries, are stepping up, and others like Brandt and Reiner, uh, sadly, are not really. Um, right. So uh, I'm 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 really happy uh, about uh, the ones who are stepping up. I mean, especially in the case of Dahoud, because he's been. Uh, around for so long and always said I'm going to fight for my position and uh, I, I believe in myself and my abilities etc etc and uh, right now he's getting rewarded so A, I, I hope he stays healthy and B, I, I hope um, his, his good form continues and he can, can build on that um, because uh, you never know what kind of form Hitzel, uh, Hitzel, Hitzel will be <laughs> uh, when, when he returns from his Achilles uh, injury because these things take a long time and, uh, you know, Shalup wasn't the, the fastest on the field beforehand and Dahoud is some, something that's uh, an element that Dortmund really needed. So I, I, I wonder how Sevilla will uh, cope with him again this time and especially if if um, Bellingham and Delaney are around him. I, I think um, that's, that's in, in general, a good lineup to evade uh, Sevilla's pressing because... As as good as it is and as good as Sevilla are, they're not as good as uh, Bayern. And I think we saw that in the first leg that Dortmund can handle them. Um, I I uh, think Dortmund need to take uh, to heart what uh, Terzic said at today's news conference, that uh, one good performance won't be enough. Uh, I think that was in reference to the PSG game. Um, but I don't know. I'm e Even with that Bayern defeat, I'm still very positive about Dortmund's chances uh, against Sevilla. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm jinxing it myself here, but uh, you know they are not they are not going to be any fans in the stadium. It's not going to be that typical magic of a Dortmund Champions League night. And if you ever had the privilege to be actually in a stadium for like a quarterfinal or a round of sixteen uh, against a high profile team, um, yeah, these these nights just hit, hit a little different <laughs> than than the yeah. average Bundesliga game. So um yeah uh, I'm 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 a bit sad that uh, no fans will be there to to witness this and uh, turn on Dortmund because I think the uh, the fans in the Champions League they they usually step up another notch and and really you know um yeah cheer this team on even harder uh so yeah that's that's kind of sad but uh, I don't I don't know I think Dortmund rewarding themselves still for uh, the turnaround they had and uh, uh, reaching the quarterfinal against a, you know, beatable opponent, let's say, uh, that that should be quite delicious and make up for a, a lot of uh, stuff we've seen this season. And whoever Dortmund then draw, uh, you know, uh, it's just enjoy the ride, I guess. That's that's sort of my, my hope. I mean, obviously, a quarterfinal can obviously distract from the Bundesliga but uh, still, you gotta you gotta take it if it if it's that's that that close. Um, Adam, how do you think actually in the in the recent games, Dortmund have improved in comparison that that uh, should make Dortmund fans a little bit more hopeful uh, going into the side that they will not completely choke. I think that despite allowing so many shots against Bayern. I think just as a whole, it just feels like there's a whole bunch more defensive solidity. And I think that a lot of that comes down to the three-man midfield. I, they didn't have that against Bayern. I'm not saying that that's why they allowed uh, 27 shots, but but uh, I feel like just kind of over overall, that feels like it's just a more stable setup for them now. It's, it's tough to keep track in uh, which formations are working because it seems like lately with Dortmund the last couple of years, it's like, I feel like under Tuchel and, and 
you know, maybe didn't change their uh, formation quite as much. Now it's like they, they go to the, the back three uh, last year and it like saves the season. Now it feels like the, uh, the three man midfield is a thing that maybe is, is, is going to turn them around if something does. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead of myself here, but, but it's been a pretty good run, you know, with that formation since they've, they've trotted it out. Yeah, the, the problem is really that football teams develop and that they have certain strengths and weaknesses and, uh, Sometimes you need to make tactical tweaks, even though you have the same amount of players, but you are battling with with different kind of uh, problems. And uh, sometimes, um, you know, when when Dortmund switched to the uh, back three under Favre uh, in that infamous Hertha win, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. or it was actually against Barcelona where they started doing that, but um, that was really Dortmund not having any. Uh, Uh, means to play out the back and and progress the ball in a, in a way to to their strikers that that was uh, helpful you know and the um, the problem right now that Dortmund faces is more protect protecting their own back line and not allowing silly goals and then uh, it's a bit more of the Stuger approach I would even say right now that <laughs> you know you you first try to shore up the defense and uh, stop the leak at the back and. Uh, Yeah, I, I think Dortmund are doing this quite well right now. I just feel like there's a player in the middle now in Dahoud whose first thought is to go forward. Yeah. And that was missing for a long time. No, definitely. But also someone with the ability to actually do it because the passes he right. is playing, A, you need a lot of confidence, but also a lot of skill because what he is doing is obviously not easy. And uh, these players are actually quite hard to find and... Uh, Which is why uh, it's it's quite tremendous to to have the the play like that. I mean, uh, in in that regard, Witzel's injury was a bit of a blessing in disguise. Even though I, I hate to say it this way, but uh, yeah, it really helped Dortmund uh, flourish a little bit. And I mean, I'll I'll have this rant a million times um, in in the future that if you look at this particular Dortmund team at the end of the season, you will really regret why they couldn't push Bayern for a title like, like they are doing right now because, you know, if if you have players like Sancho and Haaland at your disposal, uh, you know, not really uh, at least being in the conversation for a title push is, is, a, is a real shame, especially because the, the time of these uh, extraordinary players is so limited. So, um, yeah, mm -hmm. that's just super annoying and, and frustrating to me that Dortmund are not getting the act together. So, um. You know, we we have to look as as you said previously uh, at the at the little positives we have, and uh, hopefully that uh, game against Sevilla can can be one. And uh, I hope um, if they reach the, the quarterfinal against uh, Sevilla, it gives them another push because I think winning three two away um, really had ignite something. You know, I I don't know about you, but I I felt like. Uh, um, you know, something made made click that night for Dortmund, and it didn't really unclick even even against Bayern. So, uh, hope it, it makes click another time, if if you will. Right. I think that we also probably need to spend just a brief second talking about the the Pokal draw too, because right. that's a, a favorable draw. Which I, you know, I don't want to jump ahead of myself because Kiel obviously knocked Bayern out, but there's a decent chance of of a final uh for for Dortmund if they can get through Kiel and you know that that anything can happen in a final and who knows maybe there will actually be some hardware out of this season which I guess you know we, we didn't even think that that was possible how long ago so yeah I mean if you think about it 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 could possibly be that uh Tessic will have uh one more titles than coached games uh, with fans in the stands um and yeah. that that would be very ironic obviously we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves but yes uh, drawing keel and uh playing them at home instead of in keel i think is also a, a really big help because the pitch in keel uh by all means isn't all that great and um yeah it's kind of hilarious that uh, bayern fell against them but uh i don't know if dortmund uh arrive in the semi-final i find it very hard Uh, to to conceive that uh, <laughs> that Dortmund uh, messed this one up and, and choke against Kiel. I actually watched them uh, against Hamburg today in that one one draw, and uh, yeah, they are they are a good second Bundesliga side, but uh, nothing that Dortmund really have to be scared of, and especially if uh, 
Dortmund show a mature cup performance, which hopefully they will. I mean, you never know what the injury situation is and uh, how fatigued, etc. they are from a wear and tear of a season. You know, you can't predict that. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a very big game for Kiel. And I think they'll be a bit more impressed playing uh, in, in the Bundesliga stadium than uh, when they play at home. So I think that, right. that really that really helps Dortmund. So I'm I'm saying it's it's basically having like one foot in the final if that makes sense. Especially, um, yeah, uh, playing playing Kiel is, is is something that Dortmund did already. Uh, I think seven or eight years ago. Uh, maybe they can rehire Shinji Kagawa for that one. <laughs> I think he had like an indirect free kick or so. He scored in that game. Um, yeah, should be fun. I'm looking forward to it honestly and. Uh, I think it's uh, more than likely that Dortmund will meet uh, Leipzig in the final, and uh, at least uh, in 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 recent uh, games, Dortmund have fared quite well against Leipzig. So it's uh, not like they are going in there as as the uh, underdog. Yeah, that's totally true. Hey, I mean they managed to avoid Werder Bremen, although they aren't managing to avoid Finn Bartles. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, the funny part is obviously that they can still meet Werder Bremen in the final and then obviously that's all, all bets are off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the headlines that would make. Yeah, so uh, I I think the uh, the match has been set or scheduled for the 1st of May, if I'm not mistaken. So it's still a while until that uh, cap tie. So um yeah I'm 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 looking forward to it especially it's going to be a bit of a warmer weather uh should be nice so I'm I'm looking forward to that one um should be a good one and if if not whatever <laughs> then then I yeah. then then it's so so close to the end of the season then and then we can quickly move on to uh, to the next season so um yeah uh, Adam I think that's a good time to knock it on the head unless you wanted to say anything else no, good time. All right, then uh, thank you again. Please tell our listeners uh, where to follow you on the internet. Oh, I, I probably can't get away without a, a prediction though, right? Ah, yes. Damn it. <laughs> I totally forgot yeah. that. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, it's going to be scrappy as hell. One to one, they'll go through. Yeah, that was uh, Jose's predictions as, as well. Uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually a bit more positive. Uh, I think that Dortmund will win it uh, two to one. And uh, it's it's still going to be a scrappy game, though. Um, so yeah. with that, uh, you can follow Adam at FußballTwit. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, yeah, fbref.com is where I'm getting all these numbers. And uh, I, I work for them, so full disclosure. I love it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. This is really fun. All right. Yeah, thank you uh, for coming out this late in the evening. And I'll... Uh, take even more time now to upload it and produce it before I rejoin my wife on the couch <laughs> to watch some more mm. television. Um, in the meantime, you can follow me at Chef Ambotsko on Twitter. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wall Pod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to read our written content, go to theyellowwall.net, subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, Wurble, etc. Or, uh, you know, do whatever with the podcatcher you have. And uh, in the meantime, uh, as always, uh, stay safe. Thank you for listening and goodbye.